Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. Today, last session of our series, Unshaken, Strong in Faith, No Matter What. Uh, I've called today's lesson, Unshaken, When I Am Thirsty for More. Um, there is in us, God has put in us, uh, a, a spiritual discontent, I guess you could call it, maybe a, a holy discontent. I think uh, it was Chip Ingram who called it that once. It's a great expression, a holy discontent. There's in us a stirring, a desire for something. And before we meet Christ, we don't know what it is, but there's a searching in our soul, a, a desire, a, 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 a thirst that cannot be quenched until Jesus fills us. And, and, and if you've met Jesus, you understand it. And yet, as soon as you come and start walking with the Lord, we get back in these ways of life where we're just... We sort of live humanly, even though we have a spiritual way about us. You know, we, we recognize that God is there and we've given our life to him, but somehow we remove him from our life and we live sort of this day-by-day -day life. You do it, I do it. And and why we get back to the word daily and why we do these Bible studies is because we connect and we go, man, wait, I've forgotten. I am not my own. I am the Lord's. And, and, he, and he has a plan and there's more happening. And so when we get to Revelation 22, it is a rem the entire book of Revelation is a reminder that there's more happening in this world than you wake up, you go to school, you graduate from high school, you go to college. If, if, if the Lord opens that door, you get married. If the Lord opens that door, hasn't happened to all of us. Uh, you have kids. If the Lord opens that door and then you, I don't know, make a little bit of money, try to save it as best you can and then retire. And then what? Think about it. And so even the richest, the most famous men and women have woken up and kind of gone, is this it? Is this it? And there's in us still this thirst and this hunger, and we don't understand it outside of Christ. And it was St. Augustine, the great uh, father of the faith back uh, centuries ago, who uh, wrote that uh, in his confessions that uh, my, my heart is restless until it rests in thee. And that book, by the way, my mom is watching, and that book so instrumental in her coming to know Jesus. And because she knows Jesus and because she had a life with the Lord so instrumental in me coming to know Jesus and how many of you now I mean she's watching and she's the reason y'all are here think about those ways that God works and how he sort of puts us all together and and there's this this domino effect of influence that you and I don't even know and it's awesome uh, but that thirst that is in us is God given and, and many times in scripture in fact I love that it, in John chapter 4 one of the first encounters that Jesus has after he gets baptized, you know, he shows himself at age 30. You know, Jesus lived a very normal, anonymous life for the first 30 years of his life. If you read the Gospels, we know very little about life for Jesus in those first 30 years. But at age 30, 
he his public ministry begins that doesn't mean he didn't minister before he did we just don't know a lot about it but at age 30 god starts his you know god sends jesus to get baptized and so now there's a formal unleashing of his ministry and right after that in john 4 do you know one of the first encounters that jesus has is with the woman at the well who is has so many ghosts in her life you know the ghost of boyfriends past and and it's just she's she's in a thirsty place and she is looking for love and connection and she can't find it and, and the lord meets her and he says to her i am the living water if you drink from me you'll never thirst again it's awesome and so we see that theme in, in the old testament in isaiah 55 i'll get to that towards the end of the teaching tonight but also this invitation to come and drink and and how many of us have tasted that and have drunk that? And the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. So now, the book of Revelation is an interesting book. I'll give you a couple minute overview. And we haven't even hit our three points. I know, I'm excited. It's our last teaching in the series. So bear with me. I know that many of you are excited uh, to, 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 you know, you sort of have bittersweet feelings. You don't want the series to end, but, but we got to end too. So we will end tonight. Don't worry. We're not going to drag this into 2021. But... Revelation is interesting. Remember, it was written by John, the beloved disciple. You say, how beloved was he? Well, he was so beloved, he gets uh, his, he, he, because of his faith in Christ. Okay, get this. Many of us were like, I want to be faithful. I want to be, I want to, I want to be strong in faith. Well, here's how it played out for John. He was one of the strongest disciples in faith. He was called the beloved of the Lord. And uh, he uh, gets arrested for the faith and he gets sent as a, as a prisoner to Patmos, an island uh, off the coast there. And, and, and he spends time in exile, a couple years in exile. And some of us, I think, I, I, sometimes me, I, I sort of have this mental image of Patmos. I think I sort of confuse it with Malta or something like exotic, like some island in the middle of the Mediterranean where he like had coconuts. And that is not Patmos. Uh, Patmos was a very rugged terrain where all the prisoners were sent. It was not a happy place. I mean, he slept on rocks. There was no like, you know, low security, minimum security prison system. No, this was, this was as bad as it gets. And yet that is the place that the Lord meets him and gives him visions of eternity. And, and the most Daniel in the Old Testament and the Revelation in the New Testament are the two books that tell us more about the life to come than any books in scripture. Of course, Revelation is a hard book to read. There's a lot of symbolism and people have been riveted by it, but also misunderstand it. And of course, so much doctrine and theological differences have grown out of it. Uh, you know, where do you stand? And so I'll give you highlights of revelation the name revelation means the unveiling or the rapture the unveiling and it is an unveiling of a life to come that many of us know as we come to christ we know that there is a life to come but it sort of seems like way out there we don't think about it a lot but we sort of know it's there and so in the book of revelation we're going to pick up the reading in the best part of it chapters 19 to 22 are sort of like the highlight of the book but leading up to it is all of the stuff that happens before that and uh, there's three series of, first it starts with like the message to the churches and uh, the message of rebuke to a lot of the churches. And then the three series of judgment during the tribulation and the emergence of the Antichrist and the persecution of Israel and, and, uh, and, and, the, uh, and then a revival that happens there. And then Jesus, his second coming, all this in Revelation and then the judgment of Satan and his followers. That also is in Revelation. Satan will not, he, he's not ruling, God rules the earth, but... But Satan is sort of, right now, he's like sort of 
in control of the earth. It's his own, even though God is sovereign over him. And so, but there will come a time, there will no more be Satan. He will be put in the bottomless pit and, and, and he will suffer. This isn't in God's word. This is not me. This is in Revelation chapter 20. And so you have this, this story of all that's going to come leading to this like heart of the message in Revelation 19 to 22. And if you want to encourage yourself in the faith, you go after the session and you read those verses, all right? You read those chapters. It will be worth your while. And it's incredible because it's, it's, it's like, it's what we want. We want evil to be destroyed. We want pain and suffering. People all their lives, why is there suffering in the world? Well, not forever. There will come a day when Jesus is going to reign in both on earth and on, over the heaven physically, eternally. And so this is the story of our future. And so in Revelation 20 and 21, you sort of get a taste of that. You see that there's a thousand year of the reign of Jesus, the defeat of Satan, and then the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21. And I'll just read you a verse in Revelation 21 before I move into 22. I'm going to read you most of 22 because it's so awesome. And so in Revelation 21, um, it says, and he who was, in verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Who's seating on the throne? Jesus. Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write down, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is our Savior. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Are you thirsty tonight? Maybe you're watching this in a week or in the morning. Are you thirsty? You go, yeah, there's an unquenchable desire in my soul, in my life. I keep looking for something. I don't know what. Listen, to the thirsty, he says, uh, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Remember, he says to the woman at the well that he is the living water. And uh, he goes on, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Now we move into, I'm going to move straight into, we're going to skip a little the New Jerusalem, the picture of the church and get into chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. There's a theme here of water, water symbolic of life. And there's, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God. This is your eternity, Christian. This is your future. All right, just, just, just listen for a minute. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. Remember back in Genesis 3, when we saw the fall of mankind and they were kicked out because God wanted to protect them from eating from the tree of life because then they would be dead forever and they needed to, to have new life. So, so in Genesis 3, paradise was lost. And now in, in Revelation 22, paradise is regained. And so, and so there's a tree of life yielding its... Um, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Imagine a world without COVID or the flu or any of those illnesses. That's just the physical illnesses, but the spiritual illnesses. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to them, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And hear the words of Jesus and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed, listen, I'm sorry, let me, let me slow it down. And behold, I am coming soon. We miss time. We think time is, we, you know, we, when you're going on vacation, you think a week is like a year. So we have a weird concept of time, but in God's economy, he's coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But the angel said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother, your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Man, we've been guilty of the same humanly. We want to worship leaders, man. We are to worship God. Worship God. Do not be sidetracked. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. We have a right to the tree of life. And that they may enter the city by the gates. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins, you have a right to walk into the gates. Your citizenship is in heaven. I don't care if you're watching tonight, if you consider yourself American or Lebanese or Syrian or French or wherever you come from or Canadian. We've got Canadian brothers and sisters watching. Listen, we are citizens of heaven. There's such hope in that. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And then Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. These were words from the Old Testament. And then here we are, 17, the spirit and the bride. Now picture the old commentaries say it's this, the next few verses. It's hard to tell who's saying what. It's like, think a choir in heaven, angels singing. And so there's sort of like people, it's like one of those choirs where people sing the Messiah, sort of like that. People sing back and forth to each other. The Spirit of the Bride say, come. Is this, is this a call to Christ to come? It's uncertain, but, but it's a call. Some, you can interpret it as a Christ to come, but also come for those who are still on the outside. So it says, the Spirit of the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So now we're talking about this invitation for those who are thirsty to come and, and to take the water of life, which is without price. It's, it's, it's free. It costs Jesus' life. It costs God everything. But for us, it's free. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. And now he who testifies to these things say, and Jesus now closes out, we're at the end of the Bible, the story that we've gone through the past year. Surely I am coming soon. Are you weary? Friend, watching tonight, are you tired? Man, I know we want relief now, but it's coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, is John's response. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So today, unshaken when I'm thirsty for more, that thirst is God's gift to us. After 30 lessons, many of you are like, I can't wait for tonight's teaching. I can't wait for the next year. And you feel it in your soul. There's still thirst. You're never done. You're never done with Jesus because he is so big. God is huge and he's a mystery. And you think, man, how much more can I know about him? A lot more. My mom is 80. She sits at her kitchen table reading God's word. She has been reading it since her 20s. She knows it inside out. It is not a matter of knowledge up here. It is a matter of knowledge in here. There's a hunger in her soul more so now than it was when she was 20. It's good. We're not going to be done understanding all who God is.
if we could box him in a box, that's what often we want. We want to put God in a little box, but then he wouldn't be God. So that thirst that we have is God-given, and it is a thirst for more. So here's three quick points. When I am thirsty for more, only Jesus will satisfy me completely. This entire story of the Bible starts in Genesis, moves to Revelation, started before Genesis, actually, when God was in eternity past, alive, and planned this whole thing. But there's this spectrum of story, and we're a part of it. We're part of this post ascension of Jesus. We're the church age and we're waiting for his second coming. And only Jesus, the entire book from Old Testament to now is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, they're looking forward to Jesus. Now we're looking for, we're, we're looking forward for his second coming, but we know he's already come. So we're, it's all hinged around Jesus. Is it any wonder that we still use BC and AD? Though people by and large no longer claim to, to abide by any kind of Christian economy of any nature. And yet we use those BC and AD as, as the central person in history named Jesus who just split time. And now we're waiting for his second coming. And throughout this book, everything we've studied from, from Adam and Eve to Ruth, to, we've looked at so many different stories. And the theme is the same. There is in us a hunger that can only be satisfied with Jesus. Not with marriage not with healthy kids, not with a husband who does everything you want him to, or a wife who cooks you perfect meals, however it is that you think you need, not with a job that gives you a ton of money, not with an amazing savings account, not with flights, you know, open-ended flights to all over the world. These things bring us temporary happiness, but at the end of them, emptiness. Man, I remember, I remember after spending my entire life aiming to be a doctor, I remember in college we decided to be a doctor and then studying so hard, so long and the stress of the MCATs and then going to medical school and then medical school and four years. And, and I remember building up to this graduation in medical school. It was like the, the apex of my life. And I get to that point and I remember going to graduate and I get the diploma and then I go to bed, wake up in the morning and I go, now what? All these years I had lived for this moment and it was like anticlimactic. Everything that we think will meet us doesn't. Only Jesus will. And so in Revelation 21 and 22, we see this invitation, but we see this idea that only Jesus will satisfy us completely. Faith, you were talked about unshaken throughout this entire series. Faith that stands strong is the faith that rests on Jesus. Not on my desires, not on my expectations, not on what I want, not on my dreams, but on him. Not on a positive outcome in my life, but on Him. Faith that stands strong is the faith that rests on God's Word. The entire book, Jesus Himself quotes the Old Testament. We see John making an emphasis, this focus on the Word. Don't add to it, don't remove from it. You just follow the Word of God and it stands everything that we do. God has breathed. The Bible is unique. It is not like other books. By the way, there's two podcast episodes you guys ought to go watch. You can scroll down about that, about how the, why we trust the Bible, about, about the confidence that we can continue to have in the Bible. The Bible says about itself that it is God breathed. The Holy Spirit used men of God over a thousand, couple thousand years, used them to write this book. It all has one theme, Jesus. Redeeming the world from our sins, healing us, rescuing us, bringing us into relationship with him. That's the story of this book that was breathed by God through the Holy Spirit via men who just transcribed it. You go, I don't know how. Faith rests 
on God and his promises. God gives us faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've spent a year looking at these teachings. If you're still like, man, I don't know. Do I have this faith? Go back to the Hebrews 11 lesson a couple of weeks ago. Faith that stands strong is a faith that will be rewarded. Revelation 22 is about the reward of our faith. Oh yeah, it's hard. We spend these years of our life wrestling, sometimes doubting, sometimes agonizing over the waiting. And yet twice in Isaiah 64 and in I think 2 Corinthians chapter 2 or 3, God says that, that we have no idea what awaits those who wait on God. God has, in fact, the, the verse just to, just to go over there because it will encourage so many of you as you feel yourself stuck in the waiting. The exact verse in Isaiah chapter 64 says, I has not seen, I, from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You go, man, I've been waiting a long time. I know, join the club. And yet in the eyes of the Lord, it's nothing. The day will come when you're going to be living in Revelation 22 if you're a follower of Jesus and the waiting will seem like nothing. It's crazy. When I'm thirsty for more, only Jesus will satisfy me completely. Here's a second idea. When I'm thirsty for more, it's up to me to accept the invitation to come. Did you catch how many times in those verses at the end of Revelation 22 where, where do you hear this word, come? Come, come in Isaiah chapter 55. By the way, Isaiah, one of my favorite books in scripture. In Isaiah 55, the same invitation in the Old Testament. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. That food is Jesus. He describes himself in the New Testament and the Gospels as the bread of life, as the water that will always satisfy you. Are you eating? Are you, are you drinking from the cup that is Christ? Are you coming? You're, the invitation is given. Are you coming? Are you coming to God and saying, Lord, I have needs. I'm lonely. I'm hurting, I'm disappointed, I'm confused. Those are normal human emotions. And they're meant God uses them to draw us to himself. If you don't have those feelings of need, you'd be like, I don't need God. Why is it that God, Jesus in the New Testament says that it is hardest for the rich man to come into the kingdom of God? That it's easier for a camel to go through the needle. We don't sew anymore. We don't appreciate these analogies. But the needle, I even know, I'm old enough to know what people sewed. The needle has a little eye. It's easier for a camel to go through it than for a rich man to enter the, the kingdom of God. Why? Because the rich man doesn't recognize their need. You depend on yourself. And in order to come to, come, to accept that invitation, there has to be a humility has to be an awareness, a need. The invitation to come, you say, who is the invitation for? Who is, who's being invited to come? Well, we're told very clearly in, in, in verse 17, the spirit and bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let, here it is, the one who is thirsty come. Not the one who is rich, not the one who is good, not the one who is smart, not the one who has done their research, not the one who is chosen, but God chooses us, but, but it's the, the criteria given is, let the one who is thirsty come. Do you recognize that thirst in your soul? The invitation to come is for anyone who is thirsty. Are you that person listening right now? You're like, man, I, I just, I'm, I'm not so content. There's something missing. Listen, come to Jesus. I'm not talking about just do your quiet time. Do a Bible study. Feed your soul. No, there is a, there's a connection that you have with the Lord when you, when you spend time in his presence in silence and in solitude. 
They recognize who he is, and it's, 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 it's not quick work. Now, God sometimes does these, puts himself in your presence in a very dramatic way. A, a verse of scripture will pop up. There's a lot of ways that God reveals himself to us, but usually it happens in the whisper. We've done the teaching in 1 Kings 19. You can go back and see it on Elijah in the cave. And, and we all look for the earthquakes and the big signs, and God meets him in the whisper of the cave. Are you thirsty? Come. The invitation to come is to anyone who is listening. It's to anyone who is willing to receive it. So when I am thirsty for more, only Jesus will satisfy me completely. When I'm thirsty for more, it's up to me to accept the invitation. And when I am thirsty for more, I can hold on to the promise that Jesus is coming back again soon. Did you not pick up on that in Revelation? I read you 21 and a couple of verses and then 22. The story does not end in 2020 or in 2021 or in 2030. Or let's add the youngest person listening. Let's say there's a six-year-old listening. Sam is the youngest. You add to that what? Like, like add to six, a hundred years. We'll all be gone. But the story's not over. There's a chapter that is coming. Somebody asked me recently, I'm going to do a Dear Lena on it. What happens to Christians after we die? Well, our souls go and meet with the Lord right away. Our bodies stay until the second coming of Christ. And then the bodies rise and we get a new body. And I'm going to do a teaching on it. I'm not there yet, but just to say there's more to come. This is why Christians were not afraid of death. Remember the disciples before the crucifixion of Jesus? They were petrified. Nobody stayed by him. Judas, of course, he kills himself. Peter hides the other disciples, we don't know, they scatter. Only John is sort of near the cross because he takes you know, care of G Mary. Jesus gives him Mary to take care of. And, and the rest of them, there's just nowhere to be found. They're petrified. And then they meet the risen Christ and everything changes. And in those years afterwards, their life is set on fire for Jesus. Their thirst has been quenched. They've been set alive. And, 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 and this new life in Christ, listen, this promise, remember Jesus had said to them in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, that where I am, you may be also. And then he tells them about the place. And then he goes from John 14 to 15 to 16 to 17. And he tells them about the promise of the Holy Spirit who is to come. That, that we would now have the Holy Spirit living in us, which was this amazing gift. Remember in the Old Testament, they had to carry a temple around. They had to walk around with the Ark of the Covenant. That was a symbolic of the presence of, of God. And now in the New Testament, the New Covenant promise was that God would come to live in us when we receive him into our hearts. And so though he is in us and we're like, well, great, then I have everything I need. What? But, but there's more. That's the hope of the Christian and so the same Jesus who came, who came for me once is coming back for me again. That same Jesus who started his work in me is going to complete it to the end. Jot down Philippians 1.6. That's my life verse. Not my, not my favorite verse. My niece asked me today, what's your favorite verse? And honestly, I don't know if it's my favorite verse. It's my life verse. God gave me that verse when I was, was in my 20s and, and it has held me strong. Being confident of this very thing. We're talking about being unshaken. What, is it, what are we confident in? That he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That verse is not just about Lena. It's about every one of you. God is at work in your life. He started the work even before you were born. He knew you were going to be born. But at salvation, new life begins. And now he's committed to you. You're in covenant with him. How many of us are living below what we could be living in because we're just not, we're oblivious to joy. 
We want God to fix our problems when we have the solution to everything in our life in Christ. Man, the disciples understood it after the resurrection of Jesus. You know, they ended up, I, was, I just did a teaching today about an hour before this for my church. And, and, uh, and just as I mentioned this, and I, I want to mention it again, but out of 11 of, you know, there were 12 disciples, Judas kills, kills himself, and then there's 11 disciples left. Out of those 11, 10 end up dying for the sake of Jesus. John is the only one who did not get killed. He died out of old age. The rest of them died for the sake of Jesus. You say, you say, man, how? How did they change? Well, they understood this promise. But there's more to come. And so they were, they were unfazed by the pain. I mean, did, did they hurt? Yes, they did. But they had something in them that was stronger. They were unshaken, strong in faith because of the promise of Christ in them, but also that they would see him face to face someday. So the same Jesus who loved me enough to be born for me and to die for me still loves me enough to satisfy my thirst. Water is interesting. I, um, we're all supposed to drink a certain amount of water a day. I think it's eight glasses of water a day. I, I, I've confessed to you about, well, back in, in late spring, early summer, I noticed I had gained the COVID-10 and it's, it's a curse, right? Everybody sort of notices. My friend Dorothy today put a update on, on her Twitter and sort of talked about like she doesn't weigh herself and all of a sudden the pants off. You know, we all go through it like it's normal. And so I've been working hard in the summer and just haven't been able to get that weight off in different ways. And, and then about 10 days ago, I, I sort of decided maybe about a week ago, okay, I'm going to get even, you know, have a plan. I kind of came up with a plan. I talked with uh, somebody who knows a little bit more about it than I do. And, and one of the main things was like, well, how much water do you drink a day? And I was like, uh, like two glasses. And, and one of the things I had complained about, like sometimes I feel tired or I'm not, I don't feel like my, my body, even though I'm exercising a lot and I'm trying to eat healthy, I don't feel like my body's optimized. And, and, and they, were lot, they were like, you know, one of the first things as you move into this, you need to be drinking at least uh, 60 to 100 ounces a day. I was probably drinking about 20 ounces at best. I mean, even my sister will tell you, I go to her house, she'll put me a glass of water and I'm drinking half of it. If, if I'm lucky, I just, I just wasn't paying attention. And after, after the last 10 days, you know, I've sort of been like, oh, okay. So I went and got a bottle of water and it, it has 32 ounces. And, and so I thought, well, I'll drink two of them a day. And, you know, since I started this, so, so now I have goals, I have intention. And so there's been, you know, sort of this understanding. My mind has been, oh, okay, well, maybe this will help me. And I understood sort of physiologically. I was like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. I don't, but I know I need to. But now I finally got to the place where I really want to change. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this. And so I wake up in the morning and I'll drink this thing and then I'll fill it again. And, you know, I'm drinking over 100, not a lot over because I think you can get like a seizure from too much water. But, but en enough that how did I, you go, okay, how is it possible that in one week I went from one glass of water a day to like 100 ounces? and now I feel thirsty all the time I can't like I'm like give me give me give me more water I'm used to it now it fills me like I feel like more energetic my workouts are better and you go okay is this lesson about water look it is a symbolic illustration of how it is with Christ so many of us we're drinking half a glass of Christ a day we know we need Jesus it's not that every Christian follower of Jesus knows we need Jesus and so we take little sips of Jesus a little verse here a little devotional there, a little time with God, but you know, there's people around, so you don't really focus on him. You sip, 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 enough to, you're alive, you haven't died, you're not dehydrated in the ER yet, but, but, but you get a trial, and then you feel like, I'm dehydrated, I need to go to the ER. But, but the person who understands that to be optimum spiritually, you need 100 ounces of water a day, as so you start drinking. That's what you've done, you guys have shown up week after week, 
I see the comments in the middle of the week. You've, you've fed your souls with Christ. You've understood, man, and there's a deeper thirst for him, and he fills it, and there's a, there's a fullness. Now you wake up and you go, I can't imagine a day where I only drank a sip of water because I can't get enough. That's the picture of living thirsty for more of Jesus in your life. And the promise, surely I am coming soon. We have a Savior who will give us everything we need. He says, come and drink. The verse I started with and I'll end with in Revelation 21. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Listen, it's free. Walking with Christ, being filled with Him, all of the goodness of Christ. Peter said, man, we have everything we need that pertains to life and godliness in Christ. He's at your disposal. You just have to receive him. So if you're thirsty for more, only Jesus will satisfy you completely. It's up to you to accept the invitation to come. And you can hold on to the promise that he's coming back for you soon. This is awesome.